Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod brought to you by Asahi Superdry. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking back at all the main talking points from a nail-biting World Cup final as the Springboks lifted the Webellis Cup to go back-to-back. We'll be looking at England's third-place finish and asking what next for them and the other Six Nations sides. Plus, we'll be having a chat with Wales centre Nick Tompkins about their tournament and being straight back to the coalface with Saracens. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Andy Rowe. You did not say that with much passion. You're a down man, aren't you? I've got my green polo shirt on here in respect and support of South Africa. Normally you come in buzzing, you're happy. New Zealand are going to win this easy. How are you, pal? You can fuck off, Goody. <laughs> There's no way anyone from that group is going to win the World Cup. That's a fact. Do you know what? I stand by what I said, Goody. And Well, you're wrong. I know, but that just makes it more remarkable what, what the Springboks have done. Like they've gone through the hardest trip that anyone had had to get to to ever win a World Cup. Then that just makes it even more incredible what they achieved. Oh, smart. Look, he's fueling the Springbok fire. You see, whenever you talk about the Springboks, whenever we do it on our pod, I'm fueling the beast. Andy Rose just totally redeemed himself. You've just totally brought it back, haven't you, to the Springboks? All about them. It's not about me. It's not about me either. I'm absolutely hanging today, lads, in the doghouse. <laughs> Talk us through it. Talk us through it. Big night last night. Where were you? Yeah. What time did you finish? It was a three. Had a three in it. Might have had a four. And then I was on a plane at seven. But yeah, it was the World Rugby Awards. Hello, hello. A very posh event that I was involved in. And yeah, just had a blowout there with the team. Like the team that I've been working with have been amazing. So it's one of them I wanted to give back a bit of Jimbo to them who they've not seen throughout the whole tournament. So feeling vulnerable today, but it's been wicked. Goody, you don't need an excuse to go out and have a big blowout, do you? I don't know, but I'm very fresh today, very happy. I had a weekend of, what did I do? Saturday I was on TNT Sports, commentating on the washout that was Bath against Leicester. And then yesterday was a nice family day. So no alcohol touched my lips this weekend, which is good. So in training, but Andy Rowe, this isn't about me. There's a bit about Jim there, but this is about you, mate. The All Blacks. I sorted you out Saturday night at Flatiron Square, a table. 
I'm getting reports that you were trying to throw tables by the end because you were hating Wayne Barnes' decisions. <laughs> like, when someone sorts you out a VIP table, Andy Rowe, you take your Kiwi mates down there, you got to behave, pal. You have to behave. And What have you heard? <laughs> what did you do? Just tonight. <laughs> I, I would love to tell you a story that something like that happened, but I sulked like a small child and went home after the final whistle. The whole place were Kiwi supporters, converted Kiwi supporters, which I was quite surprised about. So I, I didn't realise that the rest of the world wanted us to beat the Springboks and would be as upset as we were. Not everyone. I was I was back in the Springboks and my God, I was right again. Should we have a look at the game? Where did this game rank in terms of World Cup finals for you guys? I thought it was unreal. I really did. I knew it wasn't going to be high scoring. So firstly, I should say I picked it the other way. I can't remember. It was maybe like a 9-8 a thriller that I picked and predicted uh, in favour of the All Blacks at the start. One point game. Absolutely phenomenal. Had everything. You know, we always say it's one for the purists. I think it kind of was. But being in the stadium, wondering whether or not the atmosphere would be incredible if it was going to be like, say, a France-Island one. That was the big talking point over the last few weeks. The energy out of France has gone because them two teams are out. The atmosphere was absolutely electric in there. Like two very well-supported teams, but obviously a long way from home. So there were some neutrals. There was some French singing. There was a bit of swing low. That was it. There was a couple of kilts knocking about as well. But in terms of the energy, the atmosphere, and what we saw on the pitch was unbelievable. It was, it's hard, you know, when you go to these big events, right, you're watching them, but there's so much kind of going on, isn't it? It's almost like a bit of a carnival, which is what we kind of want with rugby as well. We've spoken about that. But watching it back today, the game was so much better than I thought it was. I, I said it was one for the purist, and we use that term a lot. But actually watching it back, the skill and the physicality, obviously the jeopardy as well, but the kind of this chess game that people talk about, it was absolutely phenomenal. Every player was up at their very, not their very best, but intentionally at their very best. Like Jim said, it had absolutely everything. You talk about drama, you talk about red cards, you talk about yellow cards, you talk about TMO decisions. The bunker came into use. The All Blacks down to 14 men after the Springboks flew out the blocks. And it looked like at halftime, Springboks are going to win this comfortably. Kane's been sent off, and rightfully so. But... The way the All Blacks played in the second half, the way they took the game to the Springboks by playing a completely different brand of rugby to what the Springboks were doing was just a credit to themselves. But it was absolute entertainment, I thought. I just loved it. The whole drama of it, edge of your seat stuff. I wasn't even supporting a team. Of course, I predicted the Springboks to win, but the physicality, the noises for some of the hits that you're getting through the TV were off the charts. And the two greatest teams in World Cup history, going at each other in a World Cup, the race to four titles, all that stuff, all the drama around the game and what's gone on before. We talked about it with how empty the Springboks tanks were going to be, but whatever they did in the week, however many brides they had, however much biltong they ate, they got themselves ready again and they went to town. Even though it says 12-11 on the score sheet, it was a brilliant spectacle whereby... Everyone that watched it, whether you were wanting to see entertaining rugby, wanting to see just brute force, that had something for everyone. And do you know what? Credit to the box. They've beaten France by one point. They beat England by one point. They beat the All Blacks by one point in the final. And they have gone to the well and back to go and find something within themselves. Energy reserves. They used their bench. They went 7-1. They took gambles. But as Jim said, every player emptied themselves and took themselves to a level where... It was just absolutely phenomenal. The analogy of 
Game of Inches. Nothing better can describe that. And you just said it there, Goody. Sam Kane, we can talk about his red card, which we probably will do. Sia Khaleesi, Cheson Colby, when he goes for the intercept. Jordy Barrett, when he misses the penalty, a couple of inches to the left. Andre Pollard, when he actually gets the kick, a couple of inches inside. The try that was disallowed, where it was just knocked on by an inch by Ardi Severe at the line-out. Like, that is probably the best way to describe it. It was so close. And, you know, going back and looking at what I didn't realise in the stadium, again, because of the energy and the atmosphere and the way my brain works. I know, good. you're very good when you do the TV of picking out moments and going back and remembering tries and how they unfolded. Mate, the Springboks didn't score a point after 33 minutes. I know. Madness, isn't it? Absolutely mental. We've been doing this podcast for years. Like we've been involved in the game as players, watching, talking about it, getting different players on. I have never been more proud to be associated with rugby. Like, yes, there's there's been ups and downs during the tournament. There's been talking points. There was talking points in that game. You know, we can talk about some of the off-field stuff if we want and the social media stuff. But as a product and that game, it was just a privilege to be pitch side watching them. And I always say it, they're millionaire players. They should be paid millions of pounds for doing what they did on that pitch in that final. It was absolutely phenomenal. Right, shall we wrap things up then with the good, the bad and the ugly? <laughs> please please you mentioned the TMO fairly obvious red card right for me yeah I mean obviously it goes to the bunker doesn't it so it's reached the yellow card threshold and how everyone knows now that it's not the TMO making the decision he shows the foul play but then Wayne Barnes sees it it reaches the threshold of the yellow card it goes to the bunker and the way you look at it Sam Kane's lovely bloke as we know you know absolute warrior of a player not a bad bone in his body no history to my knowledge, of red or yellow cards to that extent of a hit like that. So there's no previous of him always tackling like that. He's got one wrong and he's made Jesse Creel wear one in the chin. And it's a red card. What we've seen, how it's been, it's a red card every day of the week. Now, I don't want to compare people and tackles and all this stuff, but if that's Owen Farrell making that tackle, the world goes absolutely mad if he doesn't get sent off, right? He's had bans, obviously, off the back of some similar tackles. So you can't then sort of box it off and go, oh, it's Sam Kane, it's an all-black captain, it's the World Cup final, we don't want to see a red card. World Rugby have to follow through with what they've started and how they're managing the game. And as painful as that is, it's the first red card we've ever seen in the World Cup final. It's facts of life. You know, Sam Warburton went through one back in 2011, didn't he? When he got sent off for a tip tackle, captain of Wales, you know, potentially... Wales in a semi-final could have beaten France had that not happened we have to deal with it it is a red card every day of the week you know no mitigation some people are like oh Jesse Creel changed his body angle late and there was a bit of a step and then his chin was near the floor now Sam Kane is always illegal upright smashes him in the face and it's a clear red card only thing I do question though is why didn't Jesse Creel go for HIA because that's got to be something that everyone needs to look at going forward. I've said it millions of times on this podcast. If you're getting banged in the face and it's with force and a red card, you've got to have a HIA straight away. And it's ironic. A lot of people came back at me on X or Twitter or whatever it's called and said, isn't it ironic that Jesse Creel did one of those early in the tournament, should have been sent off against Scotland and nothing was even looked at really. And then it happens to him in the final and Sam Kane gets red carded. Felt awful for Sam Kane, but unfortunately, days is the rules. Jim, you're not so convinced. I'm shaking my head and nodding, and maybe this is the whole thing around rugby, like understanding. And we do know, like we know the framework and we know when we look at something. But again, when I was in the stadium, I was convinced it should have been a yellow card. 
not a red card. So that was my feeling coming out, having seen it on the big screen, being there in the stadium, watching it back. Yeah, I, I think it was a red card, but I think not no. And that's the, that's the thing on the highest level in a final. I, I'm not like you saying 100%, because we'll talk about the Sia Khaleesi one. He's in a bent position, very different mechanism. The thing is, I feel for Sam, and Ian Foster mentioned it after him, fair play. He didn't want it to be a talking point coming out of the World Cup final, that it was a red card. But it was how it happened. It happened so quick, didn't it? And we know that Sam Kane can bang. They said that it wasn't overly powerful. It wasn't a hard shot. It was pretty hard. It was a big old hit. Obviously, it's a marginal one. But I think it's because I feel sorry for him because of what he's been through. We've spoken about him after the quarterfinal, maybe one of the best performances of the World Cup. I don't know how much the public warmed to him as captain. And then that's happened. And they were talking about being a David Beckham moment when he got sent off against... Argentina. It's not the same. It's not that moment of madness, but that is what we were just speaking about before. It's the inches and it's massive. Goody spoke about it. The way the All Blacks played after that just shows that this team are a special group. Foster was kind of mentioning the the involvement that the TMO has got these days where they can kind of pick and choose where they interject and where they come into the game. Do you see where he's going with that or do you understand like where there might be some frustration with it? I actually prefer it. I like it. I don't know whether that's because I was out with all the refs, Goody. I was like you, mate. I was like you are with the refs. I was out with them last night. Well, they were there and I made a conscious decision to go and speak to them. Great bunch of guys. And I said to them, you have the toughest job in rugby. Like if we find it tough and we're just here talking about it a day after and we're talking about these big decisions, yes, it's their job to do that. But my goodness, I mean, you just see they just stick together in case it all kicks off in the pub uh. or, or in case they just all stick together in a group. I like the TMO. I do like that. Imagine Barnsley just red cards Sam Kane. It's straight away in that moment, you know, which he's got the minerals to do. I know that you're not talking about specifically the red card TMO that coming in. I like it. You know, the try that was disallowed with the knock on, because Barnsley said, didn't he? It's a try, happy, no knock on. Yeah. And obviously New Zealanders now are looking at it going, well, the TMO came in and how many phases can you go back to look at something that's a knock on? You can go back for foul play. So not everyone knows the full regulations of how far a TMO can go back or come in for. Now, the bottom line is Tom Foley came in for that line out where Ardi Surveyors ripped it, knocked it on, played on. There's a try that's led from that. If the TMO doesn't come in, the whole of South Africa is saying, what the hell is the TMO doing? And I'm saying, is he in the biscuit tin? Is he having a poo? What's he doing? Where is he? And we had some last year, didn't we? In a, I think it was a semi-final, Saracens semi-final, where Faz is offloaded one from the middle of the stand having a beer with the fans and it led to a try against Northampton and we're like hold on a minute it was so far and so obviously in touch then that the try should never have stood yet in a World Cup final we've now got people complaining there's too much TMO look at the most watched sport in the world NFL NFL is the most watched sport in the world it's the most stop start game you've ever seen in your life and what they do is they challenge calls. They have all these processes where they get to the, what they feel is the right decision with their technology. Now, there wasn't a slowness of the game around Tom Foley coming in and you know making it a 10-minute review or something like that. It was, there's been a clear knock on. And actually, we've done the right thing because what's happened is the jumpers got taken out in the air. So you, you can't have the try for obvious reasons because of the knock on. But We've seen it as a penalty because he's taken the jumper out in the air. So there's your penalty. And what happens? New Zealand score a few phases later anyway. So actually, in terms of the impact on the game, I don't think it had any impact. And we actually got the right decision. So I'm a big believer in 
if the TMO has the technology and he sees something, he has every right to come in and make sure that the correct call is given on the field. Where did South Africa get it right tactically? Like, Was this a game where they made the right calls to win it or was it just their desperation to win that got them across the line? Well, emotionally they were there and that was the question. I didn't think they could get there again. It looked like they had that one big game against France in the knockout stages. Against England, they were nowhere near that level. And I just didn't know whether the tank was empty, whether the well was dry. But you saw straight away, and you get a gauge straight away within the first kind of five or ten minutes if a team's on. And my goodness me, just physically they're on. The talking point in the lead-up to the game, which we didn't speak about on the pod on Monday, was the 7-1 split, which some people think ridiculous. So firstly, tactically, Rassi and Jacques Nienaber have got the calls absolutely spot on. You're thinking they're going into a World Cup final without a scrum half replacement or a specialist scrum half. Like, it's mental. And Cheslin Colby, yes, as special as he is, we've seen scrum halves coming before. You think about Italy and the Bergamasco brothers throwing... Hey, I played in that game. He made me look amazing. Well, there you go. How bad was that? So I know that Cheslin Colby is not going to have one of them moments where you've got your back row Bergamasco literally throwing plastic bags in the air. But in a final... It's a massive call, right? Drop Manny Labot completely out of the squad. Yeah. Genius in a way. Obviously, they're not going to feel it's a genius call. They would have been devastated. But you saw the emotion of the bench and stuff like that, just how engaged that team are with each other, like how much of a tight group and family they are. They played it exactly right. Their best players, their biggest players stood up. Like we know Fafta Clerk's a big game player. Andre Pollard, I've questioned his credentials. Is he going to go replicate that at Leicester, do you think, Goody? Is he going I to... hope so, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, hope so. Hope so. He didn't say definitely. He hopes yes, so. Yes, he is, man. Yes, he is. Biggest stage, you know? Biggest plums. Yeah, the guy has the biggest plums. He's one of them test match animals. And the likes of Ebenezer Beth. You know, Dion Faree coming on. We could talk about him if you want. Like, Bongi and Banami goes off after a couple of minutes, which in the stadium, I thought it was a horror clear out. But actually, it wasn't as bad as I first thought from Shannon Frizzella. It was... It was accidental. It was an accidental, exactly. It wasn't a dog shot. In the stadium, it looked worse. But Dion Faree comes on. And I was talking to producer Rob about Dion Faree. He didn't get capped till he was 35. He's 38 years old. What? He's 38 years old. And not just that game, having to come on in a final in your second position. Yes, I read this article where he speaks about, like, I've probably played more hooker than I have back row. Well, not the highest level you haven't in terms of World Cup. You've not done it. And a couple of throws have gone astray during the World Cup for him. But his work around the breakdown for 38 years old, the influences he has, the semi-final, I think he had one of the biggest influences off that line-out where he broke out, went round the corner and nearly scored off it. We're talking about a 38-year-old second-choice back row who plays hooker in a final. Yeah. Like, absolutely phenomenal. So tactically, the personnel... They got it right. We saw Ox and Che the week before in the semi-final in the scrum and the influence that had on it. But this was about desperation on your halfway line when the All Blacks are coming and they're down to 14 men and you're down to 14 men as well. I, I didn't pick anything up tactically, Goody, that I thought well, that's what's won in the game. It was just literally who's got the biggest balls and they were identical, but maybe there was just one slightly bigger in the, on the left side for this rim box. <laughs> You talk about tactics. The tactics are employed before the game as well as during the game, right? And like Jim said, all those decisions. Imagine being Jean Klein, right? How's he come on in a World Cup final when he was playing for Ireland not so long ago or trying to play for Ireland? When he came on, I'm like, geez, he's hardly played in the World Cup, has he? In terms of the big games. But that's the genius and the knowledge of Razzie, knowing the limits that his players can get to and the trust that he has in everyone in that squad. 
Now, it was all built up around Marnie Leboc at the start of the World Cup. You know, they made the biggest of decisions to take him off in the semi-final after half an hour. And then looking at the weather forecast for the final, bringing Andre Pollard back into the starting 15, but then leaving Marnie Leboc out completely. These tactical decisions that they've made by Razzi, by Ninaba, you know, Felix Jones, who hopefully is going to ride in on his white horse and save England rugby as well. Now he's got the England job post-World Cup. They are absolute geniuses for every little detail that they've gone into. The understanding of their whole squad, the family mentality, you know, little things. How good was Vincent Cock last week against England at scrum time? Wasn't even on the bench. Doesn't train on Monday. And then you've got the trust in Trevor Nayakane. I mean, the best bit was his dancing on the field after the game. But How good. Yeah. How good. <laughs> yeah. That was me last night. <laughs> Tactically, pre-match and with the selections, they got everything perfectly. In the game, it came down to inches. It came down to Peter Steftatoy making 28 tackles. I mean... Unbelievable. Absolute phenomenon. Mate, they weren't just little tap tackles here. They were all, how are you? I'm going to smash the life out of you now. And like the physicality was just ridiculous. How he's walking the next day, I've got no idea. He was an absolute beast. How do you think Rassi's going to go down as a coach, as a legend, as someone that ranks with other coaches in the world in, in the history of the game? It's the obvious. Best ever. Obvious. Best ever for me. From where he took the Springboks four and a bit years ago, where they were, to winning the World Cup in 2019, the emotion and everything, the planning and everything that went with that, to see how they've evolved over these four years and then go back to back. And it's back to back with probably the toughest World Cup tournament ever to win was this one because of the quality of all the other teams as well. So you go back to the start of the World Cup, we went into it going, geez, there could be six teams potentially that win this. We've gone to a lot of other World Cups and it's been two teams effectively that could probably win the World Cup. So he has won the toughest of World Cups back-to-back with massive calls tactically, individually, player-based, how the team has evolved, how the team's gone back to type to win the last few games in the knockouts by one point. You can't speak high enough for the bloke. Yes, there's been some issues around what he tweets and he's had you know bans previously, which I think probably were ridiculous anyway, but... Does he divide opinion outside of South Africa? Inside South Africa, he will be carried on people's shoulders as the greatest ever coach in rugby union, I think. And what about Ian Foster? Oh, big fan of his. The way that he's conducted himself with humility, with integrity, very different to Rassi, how he goes about his business. And I go back to the interview after the match, which is the hardest interview I imagine any coach can be sat there in. You've just lost the World Cup final by one point. Oh, and by the way, you're not being kept on because you got sacked before the World Cup even started. The way that he's handled himself is a credit to himself. He'll be one of the most sought-after coaches. You know, we can get onto that like Eddie Jones leaving Australia. If I was them, I'd go all out to get him. But we know that all blacks don't like to cross over to the dark side and go to all the light side or the yellow side to go to Australia. But the way that he's handled himself, the way that he's set up his players, the way that he's backed his captain the way that he speaks about his team and the difficulties he's had with the All Blacks, a team that are in transition, a team that haven't played that well, not having your captain fit the whole time and sticking with him and picking him in the quarterfinal. Yeah, I mean, it's quite obvious, isn't it? When you look at what he's been through, having not even won the World Cup, but he's come out of this, I would just say, in a much stronger position than when he walked into the World Cup. So obviously South Africa have gone back-to-back, back-to-back world champions, first to four. Is this Springbok side, people are saying that they might be the greatest rugby side ever. Where, where, where do you guys stand on that? 
Well, Andy Rowe, if you were checking your X stream, your Twitter stream, that's what I said. I said it out there. And then the South Africans obviously loving it. The rest of the world, not so much. I think this is the greatest rugby team we've seen. And Goody mentioned it on the pod today. I've mentioned it last week, the week before. The path they've had to walk in this World Cup is tougher than any other team in any other World Cup. To go back to back, people to speak about a dynasty. Obviously, the All Blacks did it in 2011 and 2015. There is argument to say that that team with the likes of Marnonu, Conrad Smith, Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, Kieran Reid, Ali Williams, Retallick when he was there, Whitelock, Mully Aina. Sonny Bill. Hey, don't say Sonny Bill. I've said he's one of the goats of the game. People are like, what the hell are you talking about? Of course, Sonny Bill's a goat. <laughs> but for me, because they've gone back to back, because of how they've played, I was going to say, look at the team. You'd have all of these teams in your World 15. They've only got one in the World 15, which is Ridiculous. ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I think this is the greatest team we've seen. Very different to that All Blacks team, Andy Rowe, of 2015. Play a, a very different brand of rugby. But in this day and age, and the rugby's evolved a lot over the last eight years, and with how good France were going into the tournament, Ireland, the best team in the world, being in a pool with Scotland, and... The way that they won that final and the semi-final the week before, I think they go down as the greatest team. And some people will hate that, but I'm telling you now, the masses will love it. <laughs> I kind of agree and disagree. And you still think that 2015 team of the All Blacks was so far ahead of everyone else and so good. Bowden Barrett was there as well at that time. But they were by far and away massive favourites to win that World Cup so when you talk about how South Africa have won this World Cup the greatest team ever on paper you're probably saying 2015 All Blacks but the way they've won this back-to-back World Cup you have to say South Africa are equal to that team but in a very different manner I think and the fact that they only got one player in the World 15 team of the year I don't know whether that's an absolutely ridiculous statement from whoever picked it or it's a tip of the slipper to the South African coaches for actually not being so reliant on certain individuals. It's more about the team, you know, with players rotating so much that they actually, you know, it's the best the only one in it. He got hooked off after 45 in the semi-final. He came off 60, was it, in the final? Yeah. You know, and other players in other countries for other teams if they're the big main players like Etzebeth is, they don't get taken off. But that is a strength of South African rugby, bringing the other guys in. So maybe it's because of the balance of how good so many South Africans are that they don't need such standout players. You know, you take Ardi Surveyor out of the All Blacks and who's coming in for him instead? The next player's nowhere near Ardi Surveyor's level. And that's not a disrespect to the next players. That's respect to how good Ardi Surveyor is for the All Blacks. But South Africa, they bring player after player after player in that all seem to have played and play at a very high level. So there's not a drop-off. And that's why they've got such squad strength and why they're world champions. You mentioned the World 15 that's been announced. Let's look at some of the winners from the World Rugby Awards. Artie Sevier, you mentioned him. World Player of the Year, deserving. Did you give an award out, Jim? What do you think? What, mate? Your World Rugby Content Director. Creative Director. Well, that as well. All of it. You basically Bill's sidekick. Why aren't you giving out the awards? That's not my part of the business, Andrew. That's more, I would say, a kind of Clive Woodward, Johnny Wilkinson set up in there. I'm not invited inside that building. I'm outside. I'm with the masses. I don't even get a comfy seat. Got a cheap seat. Near the smoking area, though. Well, I was at the top of the building, so there was whoever was smoking. I think the South African lads were smoking. It was coming to the top of the building. So, yeah, basically, I was in the smoking area. But crazy, isn't it? Like, as you can go around the houses. on That's actually really interesting what you said when you're picking that. As in, there's one South African in there, 
and look at the games and some of the performances. Like Jesse Creel for me has been absolutely outstanding. Peter Stefter Toy for me in the final, that was good enough to put him in on its own team of the year. Quagga Smith, the influences he's had on the games. You know what I mean? Like as we mentioned, semi final, the tap back, the turnover should have, could have, would have, but it was a turnover against France. He's had some of the biggest impacts on any team in the World Cup, and he's nowhere near it. So, yeah, it's over the year as well. It's not just during the World Cup, but for me to have one South African in there is a bit ridiculous. Who picks it? It's a panel, I think. It's a panel. Dinosaur Dave. Yeah, Dinosaur Dave. Bob the Builder. Yeah, Lenny the Lizard. <laughs> Ardy Surveyor. Monster. Love watching him play. He's a cheat code, isn't he? He is everything. He can do everything and anything. So it was going to be close between him and Ebenet Sabeth. I thought going into the game, probably more before the South Africa-England game, that Eben would have got it. But if you go in on out-and-out performances, let's just look at the World Cup. Effectively, that's had the biggest influence on it, hasn't it? Anton Zapont, I know he was in the nominees. but How's he in that? It's over the year, Andrew. It's not just the World Cup, though, is it? Well, over the year? That's what I mean. They didn't win the Six Nations. Mm. And he's played about three games in the World Cup. They lost in the quarters. But he's one of the best players in the world. I get it. I get it. But there's better players on form, I think, that should have been in there. Yeah, I would have had Anton Dupont, as in all the way up into the World Cup, he would have been, well, he has been in the conversation. But Ardi Surveyor, I mean, undeniable. And I say undeniable, having had Eben Etzebeth a couple of weeks ago as the World Player of the Year. But what he's done, the way that Ardi's played, even in the final, no, they lost, was just incredible. Andy Farrell, World Coach of the Year. I'm happy with Faz being Coach of the Year. Although, what's Razzie got to do? Or Ninaba? Not tweet. Yeah, probably not tweet and tag World Rugby in and put Gus P. Show as your picture on your Twitter handle. But no, listen, Faz has been phenomenal as a Ireland head coach. You know, obviously taking them to what they did this year, the long run of unbeaten games, Six Nations Grand Slam, and then getting to a World Cup and losing in a quarterfinal to the fresh quality New Zealand team and just falling short again. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was either going to be whether you call Razzie the head coach, the director of rugby or whatever, or... Andy Farrell, certainly wasn't Eddie Jones, definitely wasn't Steve Borthwick, but, you know, tip of the slipper to Andy Farrell. What about Raul Louis? And he was a nominee, wasn't he? So it's class to have him in there. Sad that he's leaving Fiji. It'd be interesting to see what he does after. I don't know if you've heard anything about that good, if he's going to get back into the club game or whatever. But yeah, I mean, what Fiji did, it it feels like so long ago, doesn't it? Like, it has been a long tournament. That's been one of the comments and one of the statements coming out that we potentially need to shorten the tournament. But yeah, Fiji, phenomenal. Like, brilliant to watch. The way that, again, you talk about how a coach conducts himself not bringing Eddie Jones into it. I love Rassi as well. Like, I don't mind the tweeting. I actually really enjoy it. I, like, yeah. I love the fact that he's unapologetic of who he is. But Simon Raul Louis, the way that we had him on the pod, friend of the show as well. But I think in order to be in that space as top two or top three, you, you have to have, have won something tangible or at least been at the top end of rugby, which Ireland have throughout the whole year. The sad thing for Simon Raul Louis is he was perfect for that job for Fiji in the interim, wasn't he? And everyone thought he's done such a wonderful job. He's going to keep it and carry on and, and continue the project. But speaking to him, he hasn't seen his family for nearly a year, pretty much. And his family live in Australia. And that's the thing that people forget. You get tied in with the romance of, I want this coach to do this job. And, you know, everyone in the world would want Simon Raului to carry on as Fiji head coach because of the job he's done, because of the bloke he is, because of his roots in Fiji and how he was brilliant on the podcast. But, the facts of life, he hadn't seen his family who live in Australia. I think he'd seen them once in about 
14 months or something when you've got kids that's the hardest thing in the world and you know massive respect to Simon Rowley brilliant to see him in the list and hopefully we'll see him back in the game ASAP do you think Eddie Jones might be taking over from Fiji oh gosh well, he's going to Japan isn't he I mean yeah I don't want to say I told you so again I told you so the bloke's a clown you know we talked about him on here there's all the memes around social media of him running one to the, the Japan job, two to try and get the Australian boys out of the pub because then, you know, Fiji lost to Portugal and all that stuff. He's not done himself any favours. His time's up. I said it pre-World Cup. You know, Australia have made a massive mistake in getting rid of Dave Rennie, throwing all their eggs in one basket with Eddie Jones. And now they've got two years before a Lions tour and he's quit his job. He's a clown. I'm going to leave it at that. Everything he's said and done, all the stories coming out about him, you know, you wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. Yeah, and he's dug his own grave as well. Australia have played it right. Make him come out and say that he's committed to the job, knowing full well that a deal has been done in Japan. I mean, I've heard that now Japan don't want him. The players don't want him anywhere near the team. I know, like, producer Rob's, like, laughing, shaking his head. But you can see why, can't you? Like, as in, why would you? So if you're, like, as a team, right, Japan who struggled, let's be honest, from where they were in 2019, they haven't gone on to do much. They've got a lot of money, a lot of investment. We know Eddie Jones has got history within Japan did really well for them in 2015 but after that you look what's transpired after why at any point would anyone in that Japan setup be like he's our man when you've got someone like an Ian Foster that's now on the market or a Joe Smith as well I mean yeah I, I feel like he's gone full nuclear leading into this World Cup he's thought fuck it I'm going out on my sword I'm going down in a blaze of glory and if something comes off by a miracle or a fluke He's going to go down as an absolute legend and his next book will be incredible. But in my opinion, he's a good rugby man. You know, I, I genuinely believe that to the core. I don't know him. Okay, this is just kind of like a very superficial thoughts. But then you hear stuff of some of the coaches. You look at the turnover of coaches, like what was it, 20 odd coaches when he was at England. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. There's something not right, is there? Like being a coach should be a privilege and it should be one of the best jobs. It's one of the hardest jobs. We've got mates who coach. Like most stressful job. We spoke about Simon Rand Louis being away from his family. If you're in an environment with Eddie Jones, it looks like not only do you hate your job, you hate your life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the impact he has on people. You know, and I get people enjoy a hard taskmaster sometimes, but there's so many undertones with Eddie Jones. No one enjoys working with him. Everyone wants to get out the job as fast as they've got in it. And Japan would be absolutely bonkers, I think, to take him on because, as I said, pre-World Cup, his time's up. He's passed it as a coach. The game's moved on. He hasn't changed and he's a complete dinosaur. That He'd do better on TV because he'd have very strong opinions. His coaching is archaic. The way he treats people is even worse and that doesn't promote for a positive rugby environment in the age that we live in now. So uh, you wouldn't touch him with a barge pole at all. Well, we can have a chat now with a man who's back at the coalface after starring at the World Cup. Wales and Saracen Centre, Nick Tompkins, joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, not bad. Pretty stiff, pretty sore, but you know, like you said, at the coalface. It's in the trenches. It's a classic me, really. Don't talk to me about being stiff and sore. <laughs> mate, you used to laugh your head off. What are you talking about? You never trade through the week either. Exactly, because I was stiff and sore, Nick, so you know exactly how it is. I know. Mate, so you're back at it now, right? As in, we're talking about the World Cup still, so we were talking about the final just being played. Does it feel like a lifetime ago that you are at the World Cup? Yeah, it doesn't, like, honestly, I was watching the final. It just doesn't feel like I was I was there or involved, mate. It's, um, it's a weird one, and it's... For me, it was so quick. Straight after the quarterfinals, straight in, back and, and playing. So it was, it was. There was no really time to process it or anything like that. So they didn't even give you a week off, Saracens. You came back straight in. 
Yeah, I came back straight away. Honestly, I got the text in the changing room and uh, all the boys were just pissing themselves laughing because they were two weeks off, week off. And I was like, no, no, yeah, back home uh, against Bath. Jeez. Hey, highly paid. He's like the Finn Russell of Saracens, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Leave him straight in. I know you know that's not the truth when you're playing alongside Maratoja. Uh, well, the funny thing is you should have chosen England then because obviously you chose Wales. You could have chosen England, but they're the, the things that you have to take when you play for Wales, right? All these what-ifs, mate. Hey, well, I, I didn't get picked, so, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. There's only one choice for me. Fair enough. Uh, how was it then? Obviously, you know, it, it looked like an amazing World Cup from the outside. A lot of people were writing Wells off beforehand. Gats, you know, new into the job again from January, tough Six Nations. But, my God, what a turnaround. And it started with those warm-up games. You then get to a quarter-final, and the performances, obviously, in the group stages were phenomenal. But how much does it hurt even more knowing that you probably should have won that quarter-final after performing way better than anyone else thought you could at the World Cup? Well, it, like you said, it started off with the, the, with the warm-up games. But for, for us, it started off way before that. And I think that's what um, Gats did so well for me, looking back at it, is just he got all the boys in early and just no made, made no excuse about it. Like, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to get down and get with it and, and just and just get grind through it. And like you can't really get away from it, to be honest. Once you get that work in, you're with the boys and you're with them for so long you start forming quite a tight bond and you start getting to know them way more. And he mentioned one thing, he mentioned that it was like a club feeling and I think that's what he did so well. And then, you know, fast forward it a little bit, we're doing well in the in the group stages and you've, you've got such confidence and you're going into this quarterfinal, not expecting to win, but we didn't want to go home. And, mate, it was it was tough. It was a really, really tough moment because at no point did I think we're out of this. We, could, we, we always thought we still got this and then probably the last two minutes and, you just gutted, like, and then and then it's all over, and you're just looking around, and what two days later you're saying goodbye to each other, and that's it. It's it's brutal, to be fair. It's it's brutal. Yeah, it's pretty ruthless, especially after that game against Australia, where you lads were so good that it felt like a big turning point for you as a national team. Like even forward now, like you think of the confidence that would give you. And Nick, I wanted to ask you about Warren Gatland. Like we've worked together at Saracens, we've had some of the best coaches. You've had have some of the best coaches in the world there. What's different about Gats to like a Pivac or the coaches that you've had at Saracens? Because he's obviously one of the greatest as well in the world as a coach. Yeah, like it, at first I wasn't, obviously I didn't, I didn't know him and, and I didn't really know too much of the Six Nations. And But then you I really got a flavour of the, of the man when, you, when you're doing these tough, tough like tours to, to Switzerland and he's really put it in. And what was, I think, the best thing about him is he gave all those boys such confidence in obviously working us so hard but gave us the confidence to know that we were fit enough and that we'd done the hard yards and he really built that kind of belief in you and and, and he was it was actually quite incredible what he does and in that way like man managing and, and giving you that confidence and I think that was what I thought was special about him to the other coaches I've had what he did for that group was quite special and it made me realize I probably could have done it with any group you know taking any any kind of group and and put them through it and then and give them and then have the confidence afterwards. And and he just stripped it right back and he said, Look, all of our games, we're aiming to keep the ball on the pitch the longest. And we want to put them through hell. Obviously it's going to be terrible for you, but he said, Look, we want to aim for the most most time on on the ball on the pitch. And and that's what we did. And mate, it was horrible. I didn't like it too much, but it it, it did a good job. It did. Jim, you mentioned all the coaches there and the Saracens coaches, Gats and all the brilliant coaches that Nick's had. What, what about the Dragons ones that you had when you were there for a year? Did, did, did it get mentioned? Naz? 
Oh no, yeah, yeah, they get a slight mention, you know. They're 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 Good lads, good lads. Stick to this day, honestly, about how bad my rig was and and how bad I was for how long I was there for. So it's brilliant that every every time my rig gets challenged on it. So I know Goody, you might have you've got the same issues, you know, everyone's commenting your rig. I may honestly and Jim does as well for different I reasons. I was worse, I mate, yeah, it wasn't great. I've not even I've never looked at you and thought he needs to sort his rig out. I've looked at you and thought this kid never this kid can break tackles like no one else. He might only be short, but my god he can break tackles. I didn't even know the rig was a thing. No, it wasn't the dragon after COVID, <laughs> mate. I was uh... They told me to pile on the pounds, so I got to about 100 kegs, and mate, I was I was hanging. I wasn't great. Oh gosh! Did you even get the ball uh, dragged? Did it ever come outside nine or not? Or was it just like kick the ball? I had, I had Doc on the inside, so he wanted to he wanted to carry all the time. So I was just let him. I was like, yeah, you, you can do that. Ja- oh yeah, Jamie Roberts was Jamie there. Jamie Roberts, yeah. But at the end of life, wasn't he? He was at the end of life there as well. No, I, he did. I tell you what, he did a job, and he was. I will say this, not because not because I like him, but he was. Um, he did a job for he, what he was good at, and he and I think he actually played quite well. What are the Welsh lads like, Nick? You've been in the England setup. You're at a very English club, Saracens. England heavy. I know there's been a, kind of a few South Africans and Scotland legends in the mix as well there over the recent years. You talking about Sean Maitland? Oh, there was there was <laughs> Kelly Brown, Sean Maitland, <laughs> Kelly Brown, yeah, Duncan, Duncan Taylor. Taylor, yeah, yeah. There was a vice captain in there as well. But just being in that Welsh environment, like. Give us an idea of what it's like. They're quite quiet, aren't they? Like a quiet bunch, a bit enjoy each other's company. They don't like being away from home. Yeah, they don't like being away from home. They don't want to move too far away from home. But quiet, I wouldn't give them that. Like um, all of them are such lively lads and they will rip into you whenever they get the chance. Of course, you you can imagine what I get stick for hairline and other things like that. But And that was another thing. Like we had committees set up. We had a joke of the day, thought of the day. And, and it was it was, it was was pretty it was pretty brutal. But it was it was there was some really funny times. And I, re- I actually really missed that group. It was a really, really good group. And I think we're going to look back at later down the line. And I think I think we realise, obviously, it wasn't didn't go how we were, but like it was such a good time and an enjoyable process throughout all of it. Who's getting hammered the most in there? Then I can imagine Lewis Rees Summit is getting quite a bit. Well, yeah, he does a little bit, but we, it's hard when you've got Tom Francis on the on the team, you know, Franny. <laughs> yeah. So like. He got honestly, mate. He got hammered every day, and it's so hilarious. Imagine yeah. being called Franny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he's such a nice boy, but oh, he gets abused. It's so funny. Have you guys talked at all about the next four years and looking ahead to Australia at all? Is it is there any plan being put in place around that? None, man. I've I've heard nothing. I've literally off the bus. What was it three hour drive back? Training with Sarah's the next day, and that's it. It is as brutal as that, isn't it? That's it. It was. It was like yeah shake hands yeah that was that was awesome cheers and then off you go yeah so as a player then you, you you know you've been through that camp and you said it was hell right yeah at times training was ridiculously hard you've come through the world cup you've played exceptionally well you get knocked out unfortunately in the quarterfinals in a very tight game next day you fly back you're training with saracens the day after and we talk about player welfare and all this stuff have you got a plan at some point where you can see a bit of downtime because how hard is it mentally for you and I know Saracens had a real sticky first game of the season to then go from the highs of that environment with Wales at the World Cup to then back with Saracens which I know is a great environment but ultimately it's that never-ending treadmill of rugby again isn't it yeah I so in fairness Saracens are going to find they'll find a way to let it down the line um, to give me some time off and, and Martin calls already spoken to me and I trust them completely it's not I, I'm not too worried about that but 
I do look at it and I look at some of these boys, these internet, especially who've been doing it for a while, you know, Owen, Maro, Jamie George. Like, I honestly don't know how they've done it. It's 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 one game after another and it's never ending. And it, and I, like, even physically it's tough, but mentally it must take a toll because I mean, I, I've struggled. Uh, luckily, at the same time, it's kind of, I've not been able to dwell on it too much because I've, I've had to just get on with it. So I haven't really been able to think about it too much. But like, for, for those boys coming in as well, it's going to be I, like fair play to them. It's going to be tough because the where they got to and how far they went and how well they did. And then obviously for it to not go where they wanted just by a point. And now they're straight in to a club that we need them. You know, we had a hell of a win at Gloucester, but we need some of that bolstering back because we, we, we need to start winning games. Nick, too many games. You can say this now, you're an established player. I, I think it's ridiculous the amount of games you need to play. I think it's a great platform for you to talk about it. I think the fact that you come from a World Cup, not just the emotional toll that that has, because you can deal with the emotional side. This is about manning up. But the physical, the physical part of the game, I just think there's too many games. Do you feel that or not? I mean, you, the season's not even start. I mean, you're th- what are you in now for Saracens? Three games in? Three games in now. Three games in. Yeah. My goodness me, you're not even factoring in the Champions Cup as well. And then you've got the Six Nations yeah. happening. I know there's a, there's nothing happening in November. And then it's just, it's ridiculous. Do you feel there's too many games? It, well, it's got easier now with 10 teams in the league. I do think there's too many games, but I also think they're at the wrong time. I don't know why we have... Prem games while there's international games going on like there's doesn't happen in football and they have it completely right I don't know why teams that have a lot of international players get get punished and then it comes into assist like I know you're giving guys get game time from it and it, and that's great for them but at the same time we're now being pushed pretty hard now because we have to get these boys in because we've ha- haven't had great results because you know we've been we've lost what I think it was like 13 internationals two starting hookers so like for me, I don't know if it's too many games, but I just think, why are we putting these games on when people obviously want to watch the internationals or there's not full strength? I think that, that to me, puts on too much pressure on premiership teams to to then, when they do come back. And you're right, Jim, they get we get paid all right and they get paid a lot of money, so they have to play. And so I think it should be moved, to be honest, more towards summer, a summer tournament kind of thing, and, and maybe align it with the rest of the world. And then maybe you get chances to properly rest players that's that's what I would think, and I think that's the best way. But I mean, it, it doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, but mate, you've got a voice as a player, and that's the important thing. I think the big shift now needs to be you lads talking about it, mate. Like, else it's not going to change, is it? We're just going to carry on. We'll just roll on season after season. Look, to be honest, I think that's that's a massive epidemic with rugby. I think we don't really have a union. Really, we don't really have. I mean, we talk about the RPA, and I'm not going to bash the RPA, but realistically, they're beholden to the RFU, and I think we don't really have any voices and in terms of as players and I look back at what Wales did in the Six Nations when they when they were calling the strike and even that didn't really go the way some of the boys wanted but it was nice to see a bit of player empowerment and, and a bit of you know we're not going to take this line down I think I think ultimately that's what we need but like it's complicated isn't it because you've got some teams who are struggling at the moment and they need the games but I, I, I don't know the answer but I agree with you I think I, I think as a as a whole we need way more of a voice way more power in what we're saying and how we're saying it because at the moment it just feels like it just gets decided for us when we just keep rolling with it yeah you need to do the George Cruz go on strike at Christmas <laughs> that's what you want to do Nick <laughs> that's why you got a game Jim and on Jim Nick if there was someone that could be a spokesperson for you and Jim talks about himself as the vice captain is he someone that you'd want to lead that 
Would you follow him into battle? Please, God, no. Please, God, no. <laughs> Please, God. Please. <laughs> now, you could be there. You could be like our token guy on the side. Don't say token. Don't you dare. Just a jester. Call me a token. Now, Jim, you'd be quite good, mate. You'd speak your mind. I think it'd be quite good. Let's look at some of the exciting stuff that is coming up on the field. Obviously, you've got the Six Nations coming up in a few months' time now, so that's something to look forward to. But also, Saris, you're back at Tottenham to face Quinns. Huge for you guys. Mate, massive. I love playing at Tottenham as well. Obviously, it's like the unbelievable stadium, the facilities. It's nice to see what uh, what the football world, uh, how they live. So I love it every time. Like, And, and it's usually it's usually pretty lively as well uh, with Quinn's brilliant rivalry. I'm properly excited for that one. Why do you guys hate Quinn's? Because I know Jim hates Quinn's as well. What's the what's the, what's the <laughs> shtick there? I don't hate Quinn's. Who tells you No, you can that? say it. You got like... <laughs> no, it's the other way around. No, Andre Esterhazen came on and said, quote unquote, I hate Saracens. <laughs> that, he said it. And then they got absolutely smoked. Then we went and absolutely smashed them. Oh, you know, it's a rival, isn't it? And, and they've got a lot of characters that can can wind you up. And they're funny with it as well. You've got Joe Marlowe. You can be- oh, no, don't you mention oh, Joe Marlowe on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 <laughs> but with that, what is it with Quinzen? I mean, it's almost become a thing now, hasn't it? I think they're envious of the success, like the England setup and stuff like that. Let's really try and sell this stadium out. Let's make like 150,000 people want these tickets. No, we, it's the, I think it's the characters, and I think they bring they bring a lot of character, don't they? They a lot a lot of individuals that are quite funny, quite uh, quite tasty, can be quite, quite controversial. And I think um, we like to think ourselves more as I, I don't know. You, we, we try not to be that way at Saris, don't we? we? Well, we've got honesty and stuff plastered on our on our stadium, so you can't be uh, mm. can't be too headed. Yeah, really. I see. Yeah, no, we did. Still after after all the way down. Don't worry. To Quinzan, honest, <laughs> extra honest now. <laughs> extra honest, yeah. Put the extra in there. <laughs> Uh, fair so, enough. Fair yeah, enough. I, I think it's that, and I think um, I think you get it, they always raise our game when they play us, and and I think that's that's one of the biggest things you, you really want to really want to put it to them. Mate, you loving it? You loving being a baller? You enjoying it, mate? It's awesome watching your career. Like I know we're having a bit of tongue and cheek on here, but when you play rugby, even as a young lad when I was at Saracens, it looks like you absolutely love it. Like, what's it like? Just give the listeners a bit of energy about what it's like at the top end. I just think like that World Cup was an absolute dream for me. I've never experienced a country and a, a fan base from everyone who just wanted to say hello to you, wanted to like was waving at you, was shaking your hands, and and they absolutely loved it. And I think it was one of those things that I've never done before. And, and obviously it was it was going great after the the final. It was unbelievable. I had a hell of a piss up afterwards. And then to have that World Cup, like I, I've I've never experienced anything like that. And and it's like it's mate, it's so addictive. You just want to go again, and and I just want to see how far I can go and keep enjoying myself because it goes quick. Believe it or not, Jim, I'm 28 now, nearly 29, so... Are you really? I had you down as 25. Jeez. No, yeah, I know. The, the hairline is deceiving, but it's, um, it is still... I'm 28 and I'm, I feel like I'm an old man, so I'm, I'm trying to really eke everything I can. You've got to keep going. There's a Lions tour in two years and Jim tipped you should have been on the last Lions tour, so... Is your Jim? Yeah, you know you saw that. I know everyone was sending you the messages and said, oh, look. <laughs> what I do want to know then, obviously you're back. You've been back at the club a couple of weeks. This weekend's game, you're playing Leicester at home. And it's quite ironic that the two most influential teams in the Premiership in terms of players at the World Cup are Saracens and Leicester. And you're playing each other a week after the World Cup final. Any sign of the England boys? Are they back this week or are they off on holidays to Dubai for a couple of weeks? I know the Leicester lads have been given a load of time off. And they're not coming back till round five. I'm not too sure, but well, I've, I reckon we're going to see them all on Tuesday. So they've all said see you on Tuesday. So we'll, we'll be seeing them on Tuesday. 
I don't know who's going to be starting or whatnot, but I, I think there's going to be a, a, a fair amount of the boys playing and getting stuck in. Did they say see you on Tuesday or see you next Tuesday? I can't work out which one. No, they'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I spoke to Dominic, the owner of Saris, and he said that the boys, he said like Owen Farrell especially is mad keen to get back and start shouting a nick and telling him to do again. So you'll be ready. Can't wait. Get, it, get the earplugs in. <laughs> oh, well, I had it from Dan Bigger, didn't I? So look, I get it. I get it everywhere I've been, so... Who's the worst out of them two at shouting at you? Oh, Dan Bigger. Really? Oh, wow, well, because it's like, it's Dan shouting at you. So, and I, I feel like he wouldn't beat me up, whereas Owen probably would beat me up, you know, but Dan is just like a little puppy dog. Do you ever shout back? God, no. <laughs> I want to keep my position. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Nick. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. Well done at the World Cup and best of luck this weekend against Lister. Thank you for having me, boys. Uh, good to see you, Jim. You're looking good, mate. Not me. Good to see you, mate. Andy, always the best. I, that was more irony for Jim, that was, but yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no, you're lying. Cheers, boys. Cheers, Nick. Good morning. Legend. Thanks, mate. Good luck at the weekend. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, with the Six Nations just a few months away, we'll be running some promos on social media over the coming months with Gulliver's Travel. Just make sure you're following us on Instagram as they'll be offering tickets for the England v Wales game at 10% off with the code RugbyPod10. And we'll be doing some giveaways as well. So get involved in that. Top lad. Top lad. Yeah, he is. I couldn't understand him, though, with his harsh Welsh accent. <laughs> was it Eddie Jones that said he was too small for England? What a mug Eddie Jones is. Ridiculous. What a mug. But yeah, lovely kid, isn't he? But I'm a massive fan, as you know. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Great player as well. Yeah. Great player. Fantastic kid. I was there at Saracens with him when he was coming through. He was brilliant. And it's good to know Faz shouts at everyone else as well, as you, Jim Hamilton. He shouts at Tompkins. He shouted at Hamilton back in the day. Nothing changes, eh? Nothing changes. Loves his rugby. Loves his code. He's back. I'm going to get better this week against Leicester Tigers. Hey, well, they did get better. They got a bronze. 
They did, and uh, we've got to talk about it. I watched the game Friday night. Jim, were you at the game Friday night? Oh, no. No, I was resting up. Resting up for the big one. But I, don't, I didn't believe in that game. I feel bad. I, I don't want to speak badly of a game, but imagine putting your head in the spokes in that game. No, and to be fair, England, you know, it was all about the attitude of trying to win the game. And it wasn't about entertainment or anything like that. It was like, we're here to win a, a bronze medal. And fair play to them. They committed to it. They did it that way. And do you know what? You go back before the World Cup and if you offered England fans and players a chance of losing to the eventual winners by a point in a semi-final and then win the bronze medal, the position that we were in, we'd have snapped your hand off because it's like you've been competitive. But I just don't know, like this... Brilliant that we finished third and won the bronze medal. We're the third best team in the world at the minute. You're only as good as your last game, everyone else. And I know people have come at me and go, oh, France are better, Ireland are better. We're we're third in the world, lads. Let's get the World Cup draw out the way now, lads, for 2027. We'll have an easy group and then we'll carry on. But I don't know, just thinking whether, and I might be speaking harshly again, and people come at me going, why are you so critical? It's not critical. It's just being honest, in my opinion, which might not count for much in a lot of people's eyes, but it's just my honest opinion. Has that one performance against South Africa in the semi-final, in the rain, when the conditions suited a Steve Borthwick game plan, has that papered over loads of cracks and issues within Massively. English rugby? Of A, how the game's run, B, how England play, C, the connection between the fans and the players and the team and the love for the team. Like, you look at some of the other countries, the love that their fans have for their team, and yes, there's a load of... You know, Red Chino wearing Ingham fans that love Ingham rugby, but the genuine connection and the genuine empathy between the fans and the team and Steve at the minute and how Ingham play, I don't think it's probably been, I don't know why to say worse, because it was probably worse under Eddie Jones, but it's not been, it's not great. And the RFU, they're talking about these hybrid central contracts. They're talking about, they've announced three November internationals against the big three, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. If you're expecting fans to rock up to Twickenham and pay in some of the steep prices that they're having to pay to get into the stadium and watch the game, you better put on performances that make fans want to come back and get excited about. And the kick and clap and the kick and chase and the kick and hope that England play, and we played it in the Friday night game, Anytime we got down towards their 22, there was a chip kick come in, a kick over the top, a grubber kick. It's just not great to watch. So I think Steve needs to evolve as a coach congratulate him for doing what he did get into a semi-final and then winning the third place game in the manner that they did but I still think it's underwhelming how England have played and that's just my truthful honest opinion in their defense though Goody is it not a kind of a similar game plan to what South Africa played in the semi-final and final a lot of kick and chase a lot of that is to do with the conditions on the day right so if that's a dry day against South Africa in the semi-final South Africa don't play that way against us if it's a dry day on Saturday in the final against New Zealand South Africa have more to their game than they showed. Sometimes weather dictates how a game is played and when it works for you, as it did for England in certain circumstances. So the Argentina game was great. Curry gets sent off. It was a 10-man game that we dominated through physicality, kick chase, kick receipt, getting after the ball, winning the breakdowns, the set-piece battle as well. That's how you win certain games. It's not how you grow a team and grow a fan base and entertain a fan base and become a winning team. Yeah, I might be contradicting myself a bit with what England have done, but you ask any England fan how pumped are you to watch England play, a lot of them will be like, not really. It's hard to watch. It's dour. It's it's a tough watch. So there needs to be huge changes in the England rugby camp, whether that's personnel, 
you know, Steve, I'm not saying Steve should get the sack. He shouldn't. Steve's a, a very good coach in his own right, but he's not a head coach for me. He's not a, a leader of people, a leader of men. He's a real hard working coach that gets the best out of, or tries to get the best out of individual players. He needs someone above him with a bigger scope and a bigger vision of how the game should be played, I think. And that man could be Razi Erasmus. That man could be a Joe Schmidt, could be someone with rugby IQ that, yeah, Fozzie. Try and get Fozzie or someone like that with Rugby IQ. Wayne Smith, some of the best tactical and technical brains in the game to help out Steve Borthwick and try and engage fans with the team and also get people excited. Steve talks about excitement in his press conferences and nothing's been exciting. Let's be honest, it's nothing's been exciting. And I might be going, Arsh, Marla's a tool, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know whose fault this is, Goody? Eddie Jones. Eddie. Bill Beaumont's. Uh, why? No, Bill Beaumont. Marla's raging with him after the game with how they played, so he's taken out on Bill. What's that about? Where, where did that come from? Why, why did he do that? Oh, no, because that's what he does. He, he, he's trying to make a statement, isn't he, on his last hurrah. Attention. Like he does the whole time. He's doing my head in. He's doing my head in at the minute. Not like, as in, I don't know what he's been saying to Goody. I've just seen bits and bobs on social media because I went on there, I'm being tagged left, right and centre, but he's blocked me. Like one minute he's following me, next minute he's blocked me. I don't even know what I've done. No idea. And then, you know, you see that happen, like just not shaking his hand. And you know I've got history of shaking hands and not shaking hands with Vern Cotter. Mate, someone that gives you the hand, like regardless of what you're thinking or what's going on, it's just plain rude. So I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe Joe Marler doesn't like the way that England have played this World Cup and he maybe thinks that it's filtered down from Bill Beaumont from the, <laughs> the good old days. Jim, you're a big fan of Bill Beaumont. You were tweeting about him the other day. Yeah, it's me boss trying to get a bonus at the end of the World Cup. So I'm not, no, I put a tweet out in support and people are coming at me hard on social media as they do. Like, and I know, and we'll get into it about the, the new makeup of the World Cup, the Nations Cup and the different opinions and stuff blowing up around some of the tier two nations on that. Having seen what Joe Marler did, it's almost like, mate, your granddad's putting his hand out to shake your hand. Like you've got a bloke who's been there, he's done it. Whether or not you believe with some of the stuff that's come out over the last few weeks, maybe it's to do with the Tom Curry stuff and the Bongi and Banambi. I'm not too sure, but I just felt that he let himself down and his team by not shaking Bill Beaumont's hand. So I put a tweet out just saying that, well, I'll read you it. I said, no agenda here apart from the bonus. No licking ass <laughs> apart from the bonus. <laughs> and I just said, basically, the fact from what I have seen that Bill Beaumont is a great rugby man through and through and a class human. Like that, they are facts, right? As in, like, that's got nothing to do with what he thinks or whether or not he rubber stamps or has nothing to do with decisions that are made and is just the front man. And I just said, show a bit of respect and be a role model if you've got an issue and be man enough to pick up the phone, which Joe Marler could do and have an open, honest chat and say it to his face. And I think, like, Bill Beaumont, and we can talk about these new structures now and how people are pissed off around it. This isn't me saying at all that I agree with World Rugby's decision on these things. Like, this is me just sticking up for a rugby man that is a good bloke. Like, that's it. Yeah. But I know that it's blown up and stuff like that, Goody, around that. But that's fair enough, right? Bill's a good bloke, isn't he? But as is Pichot as well. Pichot's a decent bloke. He's a good rugby man. Yeah. So Bill is chairman of World Rugby. He's made the press announcement around all the changes. But let's be clear on this, and I tweeted about it the other day. There's 12 unions that control a massive percentage of the voting structure. That's not Bill voting for stuff himself. That is the unions who are voting for their own benefit of what is right and wrong. Now, you talk about this Nations Cup, Nations League, 
that's going to happen every couple of years and the lack of promotion and relegation, let's just remember who's voted for that. So the only tier one nation, supposed tier one nation, that voted against it was Argentina, who are led by, not officially, but Augustin Picho is the guy that wants to reform world rugby. The All Blacks, England, France, South Africa, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, all the big ones have voted for what is best for them. So a lot of the supposed tier two nations, Tonga, we've seen what Lima Sopawanga said. And the voting structure of it is something that needs to change where everyone's got a fair vote that stands for the same amount of votes, if that makes sense. Because certain unions have more voting power than others. And that's the problem with the system. But it's not Bill Beaumont's fault. Bill Beaumont, as chairman, has made the announcements and the changes but it's the unions that are self-preserving their own interests that have created this issue. So it's like with Joe Marley, wouldn't shake Bill Beaumont's hand. Would he go and shake his paymaster's hands who pay him his wages? Well, of course he would because he's waiting for a check off them. But they're equally to blame if you've got an issue or if anyone's got an issue with this World League because it's the voting structure that allows them just to feather their own nest and you know, keep it within the realms of what suits them. So that's the hard thing. And and that's where rugby is quite backward, I think, and needs complete reform, which, as we said, Augustin Pichot was going to be the guy that would try and change that. But it takes a long time to unravel. I'm disappointed with how that Nations League looks in terms of the promotion and relegation. Why we wait until 2030 to get a team promoted into that is just ridiculous. It should be straight promotion relegation from the off. And there has been huge reform and there has been huge change, but there's still a hell of a lot of work to do. Imagine how big those games would be if there was promotion relegation. Yeah, of course. That's a big thing for me. Like I think it should be that. Just because I'm creative director of World Rugby doesn't mean that my ideas and opinions are aligned with what's signed off. Or, well, I don't even get an opinion. Like It's not as if it's like I have any say or whatsoever. Like It'd be unbelievable. But Goody's right. Like The devil is in the detail with that. People think, and look, I would have bagged World Rugby unless I knew about the structures of it. Like World Rugby are the governing body. Yes, of course they have say. The big players in this are Sansa, which is South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, rugby, and the EPCR, which is like the European rugby effectively, and the Six Nations. They're the key people that are making the decisions. So I don't know how you work through that, but as we come out of the World Cup, and yes, these changes have happened during the World Cup, but at some point, whether or not this is a CVC coming in or whoever, a big investment company, wrapping their arms around rugby from a financial point of view, but also a governance and getting business people who understand business and understand them structures, it's going to be this constant flip-flopping. Yeah. And one other thing to say is that no one's ever going to be happy, are they? So you think, for example, if you're giving tier two nations more games against tier one nations, you're effectively giving more games of rugby, which we don't want. Then if you're dropping... So, you know, so say, for example, like Tonga play England. People hate me saying this. So Tonga play England, for example, but England could play New Zealand from a revenue point of view, but they can't play Tonga as well because you can't add that extra game. Yeah. The preference will be, whether people like it or not, will be to watch England versus New Zealand. It's going to make more money. It's a higher profile game. And it's all this thing around rugby, like we have to be nice. Of course we do. Inclusivity and these things and rising of the nations up there is a responsibility to do that like I genuinely believe that but it isn't as simple as that it's a contact sport and we are so fragmented across all the different unions like Goody just referenced there that I just hope we come out of this World Cup and there's people that have had eyes on this tournament and thought you know what there's something there let's invest in this let's fucking throw a hundred billion pound 
and actually streamline everything we're doing and making it not only simple to consume from a club level, but from a governance and from a, a global streamline. God, my God, I've just put the world of rugby to rights. Yeah. Governance is the big word, isn't it? Which is the voting structures, how it's ran. And the big thing is this Nations League, Bill's taken a lot of flack because he made the announcement as chairman of World Rugby. But the bottom line is that Nations League or Nations Cup or whatever it's called is owned by the Six Nations and Sanzar. And that is where the problem lies. And so governance is the major stumbling block across everything. But Jim's right. Someone come in and throw some money at it and we can make it an unbelievable product. But there has to be buy-in and understanding that some have to give up a little bit and some countries get a little bit more than they've currently been getting. And then we get to an equilibrium. But the key thing is the global season and fitting everything around that. All right, well, shall we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, loads of good this week. Let's start off with Exeter. They hammered Sale 43-0 at Sandy Park to follow up their thrashing of Saracens there a couple of weeks ago. Big start to the season at home for them. Finn Russell gets a shout-out in the good this week. His cross-field kick was absolutely sublime in the wet down in Bath. Jamie Shilcock gets a shout-out in the good as well. He got 20 points for Leicester. He steered them around the field beautifully, kicked the winner, showing massive plums with the last kick of the game down at a wet and soaking bath. So big shout-out to Jamie Shilcock. Ardi Savea gets a shout-out in the good this week. He won World Player of the Year and a hell of a tournament from him, just carrying and growling everywhere throughout France. So big shout-out to him. Peter Steftatoy, he gets a shout-out. 28 tackles in the World Cup final. I don't reckon me or Jim made 28 tackles in our career and he's done it in 80 minutes against the All Blacks. I didn't. No, nor me. So he was absolutely heroic. Sia Khaleesi gets a shout out in the good. He's the second man to win a World Cup twice as captain. But the good this week goes to South Africa. Of course it does. Razi, Jacques Nienaba and all his boys, they're going to get the good. Winning the quarterfinal, semifinal and final all by a single point. They've gone back to back. They just know how to win rugby matches. They are the ultimate tournament team. And that's why the South Africans, as world champions, Andy Rose absolutely devastated. I've got my green polo shirt on in respect to South Africa. And that's why South Africa win the good this week. You've gone on a bit. The bad. A few bits of bad. La Rochelle lost 27-24 at home to Cast in the top 14. Not started well for them. Scarlets, they took 50 uh, at the Stormers in the URC. The Dragons get their customary mention in the bad. They've now lost 17 league games in a row to their rivals, Cardiff. Jim, what's going on at the Dragons? I didn't see it, sorry. I'll catch up on that one. That's fair enough. Where's Dean? Newcastle are going to get a mention in the bad this week. Three straight defeats to start the season and horrible conditions and a shocking game on Sunday against Northampton Saints. Sorry about that, producer Rob. But the bad this week is going to go to whoever put the World 15 players team of the tournament together because they only put one South African in it. How are you world champions? Yet you've only got one player in there. So whoever's on that committee, Dean the Dinosaur, Bob the Builder, Larry the Lizard, whoever it is, only putting one South African in the world team of the year. That's why you've got the bad this week. And then the ugly, two bits of ugly this weekend. We're going to start off with a load of Kiwis, Andy Rowe. What? Sending Wayne Barnes and his wife death threats. Absolutely ludicrous. Have a word with yourselves. Get yourselves off the bottle, off social media. Has that happened after the game? Yeah. I've not seen I've missed all that. Yeah, absolute disgrace, you Kiwis, Andy Rowe. Just take your defeat. Don't, don't put us all in one, whatever you call it. Bucket. Whoever's sending death threats, they can get fucked. But anyway. Yeah. Mate, you're all weird though, so that's that's one thing you are that's aligned true. on. Mate, we, we almost beat the greatest team in the world ever. Oh, you didn't though, did you? Well, that doesn't make you not weird. Mate, we nearly beat them as well. We lost by a point. 
and we came closer than you. So, oh, you no know. wonder you're saying that they're the greatest team ever. Anyway, they are the greatest team. Anyway, we're starting off with Kiwi sending death threats to Wayne Barnes, but the ugly this week, unfortunately, sticking with the Kiwi theme, has to go to Sam Kane. First ever player Ugh. to be sent off in a World Cup final. No mitigation. You've got to go lower. You're a lovely bloke and all that. But New Zealand media, you're going to get a mention in the ugly <laughs> for complaining about it, saying that cards ruin the games. Nah. Why do you hate us so much, Goody? I don't. I love New Zealand. Hey, Eddie Jones, give it to him. Nah, I'm not giving it to Eddie Jones. I've had enough of that clown. No, he's not. He's fueling the South Africa beast. <laughs> he's, we've seen our numbers rocket by talking up the South Africans. So that's why. There's nothing in New Zealand. They're not interested we in us. We will get Razzie on this podcast at some point, I'm telling you, boys. So yeah, Sam Kane's tackle, New Zealand media. Basically, New Zealand. Anything to do New Zealand, <laughs> you get the ugly. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Rob, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure that you've subscribed on Spotify. Ruby Spot. Spotify, pod, 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 pod. pod. <laughs>